to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. A lot of us, I think, are old enough to remember when the broadcast landscape was dominated by TV, radio and print. But as we all know, the internet came along and the opportunities to engage with audiences exploded and continues to grow as digital provides innovative ways to take people's offerings, products, rights and sponsorships right around the world. If you are old like me, you'll remember reading stories and hearing opinions about the decline and the decay, the fragmentation and the death of traditional media. While traditional media's dominance has certainly diminished, they haven't died nor are they going away. In fact, just like all good companies and organisations, they have adapted and continue to do so. In a lot of cases, they've taken the if you can't beat them, join them approach and moved into digital offerings themselves, which gives them some advantages in integrating their offerings across many platforms. A man who knows the space well is Patrick Maloney, Network Director of Sports Sales at Seven West Media, which is one of Australia's leading integrated media companies with a market-leading presence in broadcast television magazine and newspaper publishing and online. The company is home to many of Australia's leading media businesses and the biggest content brands including My Kitchen Rules, House Rules, Home and Away, Sunrise, the Australian Football League, Cricket Australia and the Olympic Games. Welcome to the show. I'm your host Daniel Oyston and you're listening to episode 69 of Inside Sponsorship. While Pat will join us later on in the show to take us inside sports broadcasting sponsorship, first, it is shout-out time, and that's because it is always awesome to hear from the listeners, you, so we'd love to say hi and make them feel special on the show. Jean Willers, Client Services Business Development Manager, Nielsen Sports in Cape Town, South Africa. I think he's had a shout-out on the show before, but he shot me a note on LinkedIn to say another great episode and podcast. Hope you are well and that the Australian sports space is keeping you on your toes. Have a great evening. Great to hear from Eugene and yes, it is keeping us on our toes. It's not just shout outs we can help with. Antonia Johnson, who is Client Services and Partnerships Executive at GSA Insurance Brokers, reached out and said, I recently discovered the Inside Sponsorship podcast and I'm really enjoying it. I just re-listened to the episode with Sven Glor and I was hoping you would be able to provide me with his email address to pass on my details to him. I'm going to be in London in May and I would love to catch up with him for a cup of tea to pick his brain more on his role at HSBC and the wider industry. So I duly obliged and I understand they'll be catching up for a chat. Hope you have a great trip Antonia and safe travels. That is super awesome that you guys are using the show to connect with each other and continue the conversations and learnings. Before we hear from Pat, as always, we chat with our latest blog writer and this time Sam Irvine, Core Software's Director for Customer Strategy and Success Australasia, provides us with his five biggest takeaways from the recent Business of Sports Summit in Sydney. Here's Sam. Sam Irvine, you've just been to BOSS 2019 and BOSS for those not in Australia stands for Business of Sport Summit. Did you did you actually go to any sessions or was it just a jaunt and you just spent all your time hobnobbing around and big nating? <laughs> well, Mark was overseas, so no one to report to directly at the time. No, we definitely engaged and made the most of the content on offer in there. But I mean, I don't know what it's like for a lot of our listeners. For me, the social element of these events are way more important than the content sometimes as well. So uh, we made the most of it. One of the nights we hosted a lot of clients and contacts, which is uh, enjoyable. So it was a good good couple of days in Sydney. And in all seriousness, you actually did sit on a panel. What was that all about? Fan engagement and how do we really garner the support of the new generation of sporting fans that are coming around? Uh, and it was That's fun a tough one. It was, <laughs> yes. And it was enjoyable. I like the sound of my own voice, so that helps. It was a little bit daunting when you're sitting in front of 250 of your colleagues, but I mean, public speaking isn't such a problem for me. It was more wanting to sound like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and what was the feedback? What did, you, what did you give? What did people give you out of ten? Well, we all, we gave a lot of people some free phone charges, so I think that helped everyone get on my side. But in all seriousness, though, no, conferences like this are, as you said, a great opportunity to network with people and particularly to get 
out of the office because we often do work in our own brand or rights holders silos, don't we? Yeah, definitely. And you could feel within the room there was like a good mix between your fully professional organizations. There was a lot of semi-pro sort of organizations, more amateur, like a triathlon, you know, some government organizations couple of brands, could have been more brands, but it's definitely a space where people feel more comfortable to share and talk about ideas and hear, you know, what the Green Bay Packers are doing or Formula One and, and just really engross yourself in the industry rather than do, getting your head down to day-to-day work. So, For those people that can't get along to it, you've going to help them out. You've, you've blogged <laughs> yes. and, and you've provided your five biggest takeaways from Boss 2019. So what's the number one? So, so I, I sitting at the airport flying home afterwards and I thought I'm going to have to justify spending some budget <laughs> on going to this. And uh, for Russell Scabetti, if he's listening, this is my justification of my blog. So what five things did I take away? And, and a few of us that were, were there together, we sort of brainstormed a little bit about this over the last week. And f- number one for me was go where your audience is and so it started pretty strong on the early on day one when they got Murray Barnett from Formula One who have absolutely picked up their game since coming in with new owners and new rebrand. They've really stepped up into that digital space so, so well. And I think for those who have Netflix, might have heard for Drive to Survive, a Formula One sort of documentary. And for those who don't have it, get it for this reason because I've started watching it and it is a super engaging piece of content that you don't have to be a massive motorsport fan to enjoy. And that for me was just one little example of going where your fans are rather than forcing them to always come to you. So you don't have to be a diehard Formula One fan that's going to sit through every race and watch every lap. My my dad will watch a Formula One race four <laughs> days after the race, even if he knows who's won, right? He's the type of guy this, aren't, this isn't aimed at. This is aimed at someone like me who wants to know the stories about the drivers, a little bit of history. I want to hear some cool, fun facts and maybe just recap a result briefly. And it's so consumable at any given time. I don't have to watch it live. It's not, you know, race day specific. They were so good at engaging the mobile applications the tablets, all the socials and some of the videos that he put up on the screen and and the different things they were doing around all types of content just showed us that they are doing such a good job of going where their fans are rather than forcing them to come to them. And as a career marketer, that is music to my ears because I'm always telling people, don't try and drag people towards you so much. Go and find out where your audience is and go and engage <laughs> yeah. with them in that space. It's much, much easier and cheaper <laughs> usually. Cheaper, yes, uh, so that was the first one. Go where your audience is. What's number two? Own your role in, in a partnership. And this, I was really surprisingly blown away by this presentation. It was from uh, Jean-Marc Payol, um, and I'm sure I've pronounced that wrong with a silly voice, from Allianz Insurance Brand. And when they got up and, and, it, and, I, and it said Allianz Insurance, I really wasn't ready to be blown away by Allianz. I thought... Pale, stale, and male. It's an it's an industry, and they're a brand that I feel like I've been around forever, and I'd already made up my mind about who they were and what they stood for. And he got up and he he owned that, right? He said we were in all you know sports and rights holders like golf, Formula One, stadiums, yeah, yeah, stadiums, areas that were relatively old, you could say, or quite traditional. And so what they decided was we're going to actually really change our perception as a brand and we're actually going to throw all our eggs in one, in a few different baskets. Start a plan, stick to it and actually execute it. And part of me just got a huge kick out of a brand saying they were going to do something and actually doing it. And so what they did is they identified some really new and emerging sports or activities or, or forms of entertainment. And one of them was drone racing. And so what they did is they actually went to World Drone Racing, I think it was called, went in as a, you know, a big major commercial partner. But as part of that, they were to get 10% of the actual organization itself. Some real skin in the game. Exactly. And so sitting there going, wow, this is really taking the definition of a partnership to the, the ultimate level there. And I think seeing how having some skin in a game really made a difference about how the rights holder engaged with them. They then went about that with Formula E, so stepped away from Formula One, went to Formula E. They then also created a whole new sort of uh, piece of content, organization, event, 
piece of entertainment on itself and it was a an adventure style environmentally friendly car race and i, I don't know how they all sound like they contradict each other <laughs> and it was such a cool piece of content piece of entertainment that all of a sudden i was sitting there and i felt a little dirty i actually had changed my perception of alliance within minutes i had and you know, as, I as a swans fan <laughs> sponsored by qbe i'm sure they're listening and they they want to disown you i actually said to someone on my table if there was a policy document to sign up now i Oh, wow. wow. So for me, seeing a brand change who they are, change their perception and actually refresh what they've done in the last 12, 18, 24 months was just so refreshing. So go where your audience is, number one. Number two, own your role in a partnership. What's the next one, number three? Data is still king. And, and I was lucky enough to, to speak a little bit on a, a panel about fan engagement and how we're seeing that real strong rights holders in this space are flipping big data on its head. So it's no longer just about getting as much information about our consumers as possible. It's about how do we use that information to drive results or how do we create a bigger impact out of that data. And so we're hyper-targeting campaigns. We're using hyper-targeted campaigns to really understand who we're talking to about what rather than just trying to get as much information as possible. And then also we're starting to see that rights holders and brands at any level are starting to be smarter about business intelligence. They're appointing people in these roles and they're starting to use more data to make so many more decisions in the past that might have just been relied on a gut whim or a little bit of historical data where now they're actually sitting Well, this down. is how we've always done it. Yes. And, and I fudged the yeah. data to back up my perception <laughs> of that. Ask for permission afterwards. So whereas now they're able to justify so many decisions before they're even being made. So that was a big one for us. Very good. So data is still king. And for me, I think it's going to just become more and more important. So uh, long live the king. What's number four? How to really stay relevant in the digital age. Now, we're still talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest challenge that one of the presenters we had come over from the Wimbledon Championships was that she was the final talk speaker for the day. And all credit to her, the room was still quite full. So people hadn't already checked out and gone to the airport. And she was just really explained and illustrated to us how important it was for an organization like Wimbledon to really keep their tradition, keep their roots, keep their history, but also really stay relevant, communicate with that new age, be able to tell a really cool story, but don't make it black and white. Or how do you actually create a piece of content that will still engage more than one particular segment of, of your fan base? And, and there were some really cool examples they used around what they've used in the last two years, around their Facebook page, all their websites, the videos they were creating and things like that. So they did such a good job of making old feel new and new not feel too, too new, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, definitely some lessons there for a lot of rights holders, particularly those rights holders around the world who are steeped in tradition and years and years of results and stories and really guided by an older generation who do need to engage with those younger generations who whose attention is just split so much across so many devices and they want stuff on demand and, and they still have to live true to those values of the of the rights holder as an organization. I think if you had to compare it to something quite similar it would be the Masters and golf and seeing Tiger win this week could not have been a better news story for them, right? It's re-engaged those that used to be a Tiger fan. Youngsters are now... Yeah, I'm pointing to myself. One. Exactly. And it's re-engaged youngsters to go, oh, I've sort of heard about this guy, but what a story. What a comeback. Who's this hero? And it's almost as though half of us have forgotten all the bad stuff that's happened. But the masters haven't now had to go and, and change who they are. They haven't had to create a whole new image of golf. Tiger's sort of done it for them, I think, in the last week. So. And I think, I think interestingly for me, those stories, those angles, those messages are there in your organisation as a rights holder. Just go looking for them. Go and engage with some people. Go and spend some time and, and you will find them rather than just keep peddling the same old tradition, tradition, oh, tradition. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you th example, Masters there, Tiger's transformation of him as a human being didn't happen through the green jacket, but goodness, they could make a story about the impact that's had on him. So. Agreed. So we've got through four. Last one. Last one. Australia is still a really crowded market space and, and there's a couple of comments in the room around there's not many other in, oh, in regions where we have 
four or five professional sports all playing at once. And we have such a small population when you compare it to other, you know, per capita amount of sports that are being played at one given, any given time. So that's one thing that really stuck out. And then another, so, so what we're finding out of that is that rights holders are starting to work a little bit more together, more collaborative, collaboratively together. And so instead of them sort of deciding that they are arch enemies, they're actually being a little bit smarter around how they can actually come up with some, you know, greater content together, how they can complement each other. I've often argued or, or thought that as an industry in Australia particularly, and, and I think it it probably resonates right around the world, is that very few markets people just like one sport. Yeah. You know, they might like football in the winter and cricket in the summer, or here in Australia we support two or three different football teams and we're watching them all over the weekend. We don't see those sports as silos in our life they're just part of the rich tapestry and experiences that we have on the weekend so rights holders working together for me has always made perfect sense couldn't agree more and then what we're also seeing as well is that Traditional broadcasters still have a huge role to play. We're talking about your Netflix, your stands, Facebook, Instagram. What sort of role are they going to play in in broadcast, in in new broadcast deals, those types of things? It still seems the big bright future in in future broadcasting isn't quite there yet. And traditional broadcasters still sort of have control in that space. It was really interesting to see one of the representatives from Seven West get uh, slammed with questions on why their commentators wouldn't call Marvel Stadium Marvel. so it was really interesting to see everyone just wanted to really grab the attention of Seven West. Whereas I think for us, being able to understand why and how these new players in the broadcast space are going to influence us is going to be really cool. Very good. So what was your, your overall impressions of the event? I think finding ways in which we can communicate and network and understand each other's niche sort of USPs while we're all there together is probably the key. So it's not even being done by sort of talk to and sitting in a big room. It's about creating opportunities where we can talk to each other and share information in a way we think we're actually sort of having mutual benefits. Very good. And listeners, if you want to go through and read Sam's thoughts and, and comments and takeaways in slow time, just head along to Core Software com where you can pick it up in the resources section underneath the blog. So Sam, when's your next jaunt? Oh, we're hoping to get up to Magic Round. And so for oh. those not located in Australia, it's a uh, first year that the NRL are playing all... The National Rugby League. National Rugby League are running all of their competition matches for one round at one venue across three, four days. So it's going to be something cool, something really different for Australian sport, and we're hoping to get up and be part of it. Yes, certainly exciting. Okay, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. Seven West Media is one of Australia's leading integrated media companies with a market-leading presence in broadcast television, magazine and newspaper publishing and online. The company is home to many of Australia's leading media businesses and the biggest content brands including My Kitchen Rules, House Rules, Home and Away, Sunrise, the Australian Football League, Cricket Australia and the Olympic Games. The company is expanding its presence in the further delivery of its video and publishing content beyond its digital broadcast channels and across an array of platforms. Seven is now creating more content than at any time in its history and is expanding its presence in international content production with the formation of new international production companies. These new businesses underline a key part of its strategy, which is the expansion of its leadership in the production of content across all screens. Patrick Maloney is Seven West Media's Network Director of Sports Sales, and he joins us now to take us inside broadcast sponsorship. Here's Pat. Pat, welcome to the show. Saturday morning cartoons were no doubt a staple when you were a child. What was your favourite cartoon growing up? Daniel, there's a few. Certainly for me going back, uh, I'm probably a lot older than many of the listeners, I'd assume, but uh, I do recall going to the cinemas and actually uh, having the Looney Tunes basically being the leading uh, to, to that movie. The characters that I, that I loved, I suppose, got the most out of the coyote and the roadrunner. I really felt for that coyote. He was probably one of the most persistent individuals that I've ever seen. He took so much and he never gave up. He kept sort of uh, coming back and wanting more. Some would call him stupid. I'd call him persistent. So, uh, but that roadrunner, just to get that roadrunner once would be, if I was to rewrite that show, I'd love to have a uh, 
a grand finale or a, a grand return, et cetera, just to see that coyote win for once. Well, I hear it's uh, 2019 and he still hasn't caught the road runner. <laughs> so <laughs> persistence, persistence, persistence. Pat, as we grow up, we have lots of great experiences and those create some amazing memories. What is a sporting event broadcast that has left an impression on you? Greg Norman, I suppose, is the one that really comes to mind. I've treated him as my poster boy growing up. He was the, the guy that really sort of got me into the business of sport, which we can get into later. But certainly the frustrating moments of the Masters, um, we've just seen Tiger win the Masters yesterday. Just to, just to watch him get so close, get so close to being the first Australian to do so and sort of get down in 87 and 96, it sort of burns in my memory. But there's been some great moments in time. Wimbledon, Pat Cash, the America's Cup, but I suppose more recently, Cadell Evans. I stood up. I stood up in the lounge room, no one around, and I just applauded that man to do what he did, to be the first Australian to win the Tour de France. I just thought was one of the most amazing things I have seen in recent history. That is amazing. I would agree with you on Cadell Evans. I have a nice signed framed print hanging up in the office. Pat, you have a long history in the media. What are your thoughts on how you've seen sponsorship change in the broadcast space over that time? It has changed to what I would see become more mostly as a seamless department or a department that's linked with what the traditional space or the the north star that is production when i sort of started within the the media the broadcast media space we were certainly our grandmasters were those of production and we were told basically what we could do and what parameters we could fit within now it's become more of a a joint co-created to phase a word you know space where basically ideas are welcomed from a commercial sense to link into what is an editorial opportunity so i think there is a fine space of over commercializing but certainly i think now the space has allowed for more collaboration between commercial and production What's something about sponsorship in broadcast that some people might not know or maybe there's a misconception people have about it? I think the greatest misconception is some of the greatest sporting people on the field are often uh, the best off the field. That may have been the case historically. Uh, I certainly don't look at that now. I look case in point and obviously selfishly because I was terrible on the field. Uh, I was absolutely shocking. As a footballer, I put I had number 46 on the back, uh, nuggety back pocket, who was lucky to get a game. And I needed to, I suppose, find a niche in my career. And if I wanted to stay in sport, the business of sport was something that basically I needed to, to, to look into. I, I look at now where it's changed and I see the, the amount of budget volume in dollars that are controlled by whether it's various media agencies or brands. And, and a lot of these people who are who I'd call the gatekeepers of significant volumes of cash are not what you would consider your hardened sport fan. So it's important that I suppose the person that's the seller or the someone who has inventory to move in the broadcast space is able to communicate in a way that uh, beyond just high engaging, linking the fan with the sport. It's more than that. How do you allow your now platform to be able to, you know, be utilised for this brand in a, in a meaningful way that can can actually be linked to their brand objectives? Now, I know there's a lot of marketing, you know, gaff within there and often it can be lost in that. The reality is it has to be more than just footy-footy, chick-chick, meat pie. It's got to be linked into, you know, the reasons behind return on investment. And often it is not the most passionate sporting fan slash player that is able to communicate that. Often it is one who can engage and connect with an audience that is not your traditional fan. You talk about utilising assets in a good way and linking that strongly with ROI and outcomes. 
The assets that Broadcast can offer are probably fairly obvious to most people in the industry, but are there assets that Broadcast can offer that people might not realise are there? There are, but we we need to walk a tightrope that is, is one that um, can't be subliminal. Certainly it's against the code to be able to inject a commercial message that that is not overtly known. There are ones that that we would consider seamless. Certainly, you know, with Johnny Walker and Keep Walking, etc. We we've got one recently on a Friday night football in the AFL and the AFL broadcast. And certainly with that, with the it's a very simple message where the broadcaster or the interviewer and the player is walking off, and and certainly it's just a a, a little message that pops up at the right time and ensures that that it's there. Going back, I suppose we used one cleverly with the blood bank and worked in with the AFL as well. And whenever the blood rule was brought in, the Red Cross was something that we referred to at that particular time to remind people that it was a good time potentially to, to think about giving blood. But we do need to be careful in the crossover being able to ensure that people understand when there is a commercial message being delivered versus a crossover of editorial input. And the industry, certainly, the ramifications from that were were well known. So we've just got to be careful ensuring that when there is a commercial message, it's delivered in the way that, that advertises that this is a commercial message, but there's nothing stopping the broadcaster and the commercial teams and production finding a way that that can actually be as seamless as possible and editorially relevant to the viewer at home. Well, as you mentioned, there are limitations. You need to be careful with crossover into editorial and things like that. I'm wondering whether you might be biased with this answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. But do you think broadcast as a sponsorship asset is as effective as more traditional assets like signage or naming rights, obviously depending on the objectives a sponsor is looking to achieve? It's a loaded question there, Daniel, a very loaded question. Um, I've got to be, do you know what, you can only answer this one way and that's straight on. Look, I've worked across a signage background when I was at IMG and it all depends on, it's as effective as where that piece of communication fits within the overall marketing objective. So if you put a sign up, and choose not to either have it within the broadcast arch or arc, I should say, or actually continue that message of relevance to the viewing audience back home with either a TVC or a broadcast alignment. It is only a static, uh, what I would consider a two-dimensional piece of inventory. That being said, you have your LED signage, et cetera, right now. So the team at MKTG and QMS, et cetera, uh, they've really uh, advanced or sort of evolved their their platform to allow a more digital message. I suppose it's it's where does that sort of where does that piece of creative that message fit in within the overall? Now to answer this question is is probably not dissimilar to saying what is better. Sydney, Melbourne or Canberra? Canberra. Or is New York yeah, I knew you'd say that. Or it's actually saying, you know, whether New York, how does that compare? Is it better than LA? Now, they all have their benefits, their, you know, their pros and cons. With TV, it allows us to, yes, reach a mass audience. But if done in a way, there's nothing stopping the ability to have signage link in, you know, through the live play and the live action through then to roll out into uh, an integration or extension of the 30-second or 15-second commercial within commercial space. That is something that MKTG and Seven, we have discussed in the past and will continue to do so. So I think it depends on the relevance of the creative as well. So I haven't really given you what is better. Personally, right now, of course, TV, let us give you the opportunity as broadcaster, not just TV, but across screens to, to integrate. But at the same time, I think... From a signage perspective, it, it provides a, an ability for the people in Stadia to activate and engage with, but also be, um, come out. One thing I don't like is being distracted, being distracted during live play with too much imagery. Often, 
more is less. And so um, the less that can be done that can allow me to focus when the ball is in motion, the better. And I think signage companies in Europe work very closely with broadcasters to ensure there's not just too much graffiti happening when live play is in action. I like that term, too much graffiti. And I think you're right. We hear it from a lot of people that the key is integration of those assets as you activate them. But I think you make a very important point for the listeners about making sure that they're not distracted. Pat, live sporting events are hotly contested when it comes to broadcast rights. How do you choose as a broadcaster which sport is right for your network? That's a tough one. We have a designated formula, um, one that obviously I won't go through the true nuances, um, but certainly it is one that involves from the top down. So there needs to be a buy-in from all departments, um, not just Seven Sport, but certainly programming, Seven Sport production, our Seven Digital offering, our legal and commercial teams, uh, the executive. So the board needs to uh, understand what it is, why we're doing it. Of course, our friends in finance, you know, there needs to be a business case as to why we're, we're doing it, not just we'd love to have this because it's a great sport. There is that and we need to understand and work closely on how we can build that sport. Established sports are one thing, but emerging sports are also another where we can look to, to, to grow the audience, grow the fan base. Uh, NFL is a perfect example. So not considered what I would say along the lines of, you know, the AFL, the NRL and the cricket, et cetera. But certainly it's, a, it's an area of opportunity which has an emerging fan base to now uh, say, well, that's an opportunity for us to grow uh, the code, but in doing so, grow our commercial base as well. With AFL and cricket, for example, it takes a lot of work, a lot of time and effort to, to, to understand the various costs associated, cost out versus cost in, and certainly how basically we can make this work over a period of time. AFLW is an example of if you look at the overall, if it was based on a price point perspective, no one in their right mind would go would jump in and go, I'm doing this based on price. You have to do it for more than just the actual dollar in the short term when the opportunities, if built correctly in conjunction with AFLW, the team at AFL House can grow a sport over a period of time. And the commercial benefits will actually take care of themselves. So one sport doesn't fit all and one template certainly doesn't fit when it comes to deciding what is best for the business and deciding what is from a broadcast right what we should or should not take. We certainly look at most things and endeavour to get back uh, to rights owners as quick as we possibly can. Um, but certainly uh, we are not a 24-7 sport channel. So when we are deciding what sport we are looking to take, ultimately the audience, how that impacts the overall strategy of where we're looking to go as a network, across multiple mediums is paramount. It strikes me as a process that involves a lot of numbers and a lot of analysis and it'll probably make me go cross-eyed. So I've got a more fun question for you, Pat, a double-barrel question though. What sporting event would you love to have the broadcast rights to and which brand would you choose as the best sponsor for it? That's a tough one. Again, there are so many. I would love to be able to be involved in the Tour de France. I think the, the Tour de France, working with Phil Liggett in the Olympics across Rio, the man that he is, just the, the words that he brings to the, just the most amazing cinematography is um, it's art. It's art. So I think the team at SBS do a magnificent job. So, Daniel, I'm not sitting here saying to you today, we're, we're going to grab that. But if, uh, if I was to be involved in one that I would like to be working with, that is certainly, that's right up there. I just think the way they do it, how they work on the world feed, how they look to, to personalise that and give it a, an Australian feel, look and feel, is just so well done. The, the brand associated with that, uh, that 
it's hard because I get greedy here, Daniel. Uh, it's it's <laughs> I would love to be able to to work with multiple. Um, one that I, I I do recall going back some time was Swiss working with them, and they certainly did it well. How they they look to to link in. I like how they break up their creative and so on. So it makes it interesting working on a a multi strategy different creative for different platforms, different reasoning. So that would complement what would be the mountain that is the Tour de France. I got excited listening to you there, Pat. It's a hard one to argue against. I think I'd probably pick the Tour as well. Can you give us an overarching view? Because we've spoken about integration. We've spoken about strong linkage with ROI and the outcomes that you want, not letting the audience be distracted by the sponsorship and what's happening in the editorial too much. Can you give us an overarching view on what you think makes a broadcast sponsorship successful? Strategy has to be at the core. So the vision of what what it is that we're looking to try and achieve with broadcast has to match the commercial sense as well. So the strategy gets banded around way too much. We're all strategists to what uh, some extent, but Within broadcast and sponsorship, it needs to be a well-considered element. So I love the term in rugby, hold, engage. And that basically is not dissimilar to, to what should be a strategy when thinking about how to roll out a go-to-market on broadcast, certainly in relation to sport. There are so many departments, as we discussed, you know, discussed earlier in regards to that need to be incorporated but when you're designing a broadcast from the, the ground up, cricket is probably the, the most recent example. We, we haven't been involved in the great game of cricket for a very long period of time, and a former broadcaster has. We were involved in tennis for so long where it was so uncertain in regards to the structure of that broadcast that we've gone into cricket knowing that this wasn't our first rodeo in a sporting sense, but it was certainly our first time taking on the might that is Test Cricket and Big Bash. And um, it was, it, it took some time to get it right. And that was the commercial strategy in regards to how many brands aligned, what kind of brands, the go-to-market, the timing, the price point of that, the layering of that, it needed to be done carefully and I think often the the mistake could be we bought this our time frame is that we need to get to market now get out in the market as quick as possible now the mistake is that if you miss the runway first it is a long way back and it is uh, it's important to make sure that you hit all those key objectives get it right and then ensure that stakeholder buy-in is actually covered off, signed off, and ready to go. I've got a scenario for you. The Olympic Games are back on, and the women's 100-metre freestyle race is just one minute away. And we go to an ad break. How does a sponsor make sure people don't mentally switch off and engage with the ad, which is what they're trying to get them to do? I'm not going to be your friend here because I've got another scenario for you. (laughs) We wouldn't do that. There is no way in the world that we would go away from what is the greatest, one of the the, the moments, the great moments in Olympic moments or Olympic events, should I say. It, it's important to get your timing right. That being said, to hold an audience, so to answer your question, if I was to find an event that is of similar nature, how do we ensure that during a commercial break that people engage with that as long as they possibly can and engage with it in a way that they find meaningful to stay with the content and then back to live play. We probably have the the soulless break within within AFL where a goal is kicked. It's really not not enough time to go and make a cup of tea nor have a wee. You know, it's but it, what what we do, how do we ensure that they don't switch off? There's a large responsibility on the brand owners and the creative that's actually input within 
the great game that is either AFL or whether it's Olympics or whatever it might be. And research tells us, certainly working with our friends at Neuro Insights and so on, that tailored creative is absolutely imperative. It sort of increases the overall engagement sometimes between 25 to 40%, depending on the type of creative. I look at the, if you recall, Carlton Draft and the friends at CB there with the, the slow-mo ad, we did run a piece of creative that was, I don't know whether it was one minute, it might have been a few minutes out to the actual bounce of the ball within grand final, and we ran a soulless three-minute break, and it was a three-minute creative of what was just most beautiful creative. I think there's a place in Australian sporting events, broadcasts, et cetera, to be able to have those Super Bowl-esque moments. We've started to bring that in with our AFL Grand Final and picking a couple of brands to to have tailored creative that is a once-off creative. I think we we have a, a duty to basically provide a, a platform to creators, creatives, you know, within this country to showcase some of the best adverts and creatives that basically can be offered. And the platforms like the NRL Grand Final, the AFL Grand Final, the Australian Open Tennis has the ability to showcase that to, to millions and millions of viewers. So I sort of, that was a roundabout way, but um, one, we would never do that. But two, when we do do it, it's uh, important that we do it with the best creative that we possibly can. Well, you speak about the timing and then you, you use the word we. So you speak about the creative and the responsibility of the brand. But like I said, you use the word we. Is there or what is the part that the broadcaster plays, apart from the timing of the ad, in the execution of that ad? Is there anything that you do or is it all down to the sponsor's development of their creative? Because I'm curious because we often have our phone with us and, and whether there's much consideration of that at the moment? It's not just the phone. It, it can be multiple distractions. It could be either uh, streaming content on that phone. It could actually be other entertainment elements, you know, you know, whether it be PlayStation gaming, Fortnite, whatever it might be. So there's lots of distractions. Uh, I suppose if you, if you go back uh, in time, there's some great creative that the team at Cummins and Partners did with Jacobs Creek and Andre Agassi. And they were beautiful content pieces that told a story and gave an insight into an into the athlete. And just to give you an insight into that process, to start that off, we actually worked with the creative team. We actually had our head of sport and our, so our production team around the table talking about what it is what our philosophy is of the broadcast and what ideally we would be looking for. Now, we're not taking credit for that creative. Cummins and Partners and the team there at Jacobs Creek did an amazing job. But what was important is we we actually started off on the right path and gave them how we ideally would like brands to be integrated. We did that with ANZ and Andy Murray uh, over the time when uh, during tennis Novak Djokovic as well. So working with the teams from client side and agency to to ensure that when we actually do uh, integrate, it's not a force fit. It's not a bolt on. It's not something that basically is going to be a strain on our production. It is something that they're going to want to get their hands on that piece of content. If you could control the sponsorship spend of any brand in the world, who would it be and and what sporting event are you going after to sponsor? Is it going to be the Tour de France again? (laughs) Tour de France, I'd love to. So that's a tick. That's already there. So we've got that one. You and I are working on that. So when I look at a broadcast, I'm looking at a, a template that has multiple brands that I'm looking at how does that fit in. Now, if I'm... So I, I want to be able to control multiple brands to be able to ensure that there is not one wear out and there's basically alignment to various verticals of what we're doing. So let me give you an example. So the Olympics for me is probably one of the most inspirational outside of Ironman. And I, I, 
if you saw me, and anyone who looks at me at LinkedIn will attest to this, but um, certainly running an Ironman is not something that I would be great at, but actually doing being involved in the event is one of the most inspirational things. Uh, I've, I don't think I've cried more at an event. The next to that for me from a global stage would be the Olympics and aligning various brands. If I had the ability to control the opportunity of from the verticals I talk, what am I aligning to? Is it the athlete, right? Is it, so I'd love to be able to control the elements of a Nike on how they basically align with ambassadors and let the ambassadors bring out the story in such an authentic, beautiful way. To then, is it from the non-fan targeting the FMCG clients, you know, the mums and, and so on? Is it the P&G story of linking in and um, championing, you know, the unsung heroes behind the scenes? So it's, I know I'm being selfish again. For me, what the Olympics represents, that flame, the history that comes with it, the modern Olympics is something that I would love to be involved in. I look at what the team at Formula One have done globally and how they're looking to commercialise with relevance. And for me, that's such a an important term in regards to commercialising with relevance as opposed to brand slapping. And the struggle that they they were having with uh, Heineken and the art of driving and, and bringing in a non-alcoholic uh, beer and, and so on, I, I love that to see that the narrative of how they're going to, to keep that relevant and alive and so on. So I suppose that's another event as well. But for me, I suppose if I, if I had one event that looked after everything, sitting on the IOC and uh, having control and of the levers of, of some of those great brands just would be fantastic. It is a very special event. Measuring success, though, is the the golden egg for our industry. So can you tell us a little bit about how you help a brand measure their sponsorship success in a broadcast? If we look at just the simplistic sides of what our media is doing, media and ads literally are some of the highest measured pieces of content, you know, globally. So per capita, we're certainly right up there in regards to ensuring that overall audience is being hit slash demographics, et cetera. Our target audience is actually from a percentage perspective being hit, et cetera. Now that's the ads. Then when we go into the sponsorship family within the ads into the creative, we've used all different measures and so on in the past to showcase what it is, the true value, LinkedIn with rate card and Repicom, et cetera to probably going back to 2007 and working with Pete Pinter and the team at Neuro Insights to ensure, okay, what does true engagement of a brand or what triggers within the mind of the viewer recall to a point where it actually increases brand salience and it actually pushes down competitors' brands as well in the overall sense. So to see the story of the the evolution of brand within a telecast element. So whether that be a billboard, whether that be a verbal throw, whether that be the actual story itself, there has to be an engagement of viewer from start to finish of that sequence. And if there is a sequence that can that can showcase a greater ROI in regards to you know, people in store buying either more burgers or uh, more multivitamins uh, within retail, et cetera, that there is an area that we need to understand what is the measure of success. Is it simply moving product or is it simply increasing the overall brand presence with a new launch, et cetera? So we need to get better as an industry to understand what it is, how clients, what they would consider what is success to them. So it's important at the at the beginning that we get a true indication of what that is. We often say that sponsorship helps brands reach and engage with an audience that they otherwise wouldn't be able to or might find it difficult to reach efficiently. Given the broadcast increases reach on mass, how do you match a brand's 
targeted audience. So they're very clear about who they want to speak to with that of a sporting event you're covering. Do those demographics you use come from your own measurement or ones that the sports give you, or is it a combination? I'd say the it's at the industry standard. You know, the total thousands broken down into the various demographics. That is that is an industry standard. I've got a question for you though. What do you consider as broadcast? A traditional broadcast, sitting around a, a, a TV and watching a show or, or a sports broadcast that I can't pause or watch on demand. Okay. So the the word tradition is now is something that has evolved and you're right. They're sitting around the TV, um, being delivered content that you that can't be caught up, that can't be fast forwarded, that can't be manipulated, etc. For us broadcasting it, it's it's something where we've had to go and evolve. We've had to evolve with the times. And if we remained as a traditional broadcaster and tradition within the frame that is, inverted commas, traditional media, we're dead. We're absolutely dead in the water. We've all had to evolve over time in regards to just focusing on what new platforms there are. And let me give you an example. Our OTT product in, in regards to 7 Plus is something that, and I'm not going to give you a sale job on how, how good 7 Plus is, it is fantastic, but it is something that's taken a lot of time. So we're now 2019, where if I go back to 2014, it was the first time that we basically, outside of the Olympics, it really focused on tennis in regards to a multi-court and a multi-offering. For us, we grew into, as a traditional broadcaster with tennis having one screen, we then offered a two and sometimes three in regards to seven, seven, eight, and seven, two. Then we actually evolved that into uh, greater offerings in in uh, digital platforms with OTT options, free options to be able to go to Margaret Court, seven, eight, nine, ten. That grew up to sixteen different streams. Then we look at the Rugby League World Cup and our targeting ability in regards to addressable advertising goes to a, a new level of opportunity from a commercial perspective, but from a from a client perspective gives them the ability to be able to focus on different ads served to relevant markets right across the country. And that that for us really opened new opportunities to allow to change the game. So we still have traditional media referred to as old media. We now refer to that as proven media, but we have an evolved medium that is broadcast across screens that allows us to have the mass ability now coupled with the targeted ability in regards to focusing on uh, different ops across screens. I think that's a good point about needing to evolve and how you look at new offerings. And the listeners should keep that in mind and, and not just fall into that trap of seeing networks as simply traditional broadcast with normal ads, etc. And keep that in mind that networks like you are actively looking to evolve and add value and probably want to have conversations with brands about how you can work together on that. But you have the luxury of broadcast, print and publication assets to work with. What are some of the the pros and cons or or challenges and limitations of them, as well as how you see them working in a complementary way in sponsorship? We do have the luxury of broadcast. We've got publication, you're exactly right. And then we've got newspapers as well, now linked in with digital. I, I think one of the one of the criticisms aimed towards our organization or our medium is basically the agility in regards to being able to to move quickly and being able to have that flexibility to 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 be able to offer solutions in line with clients' needs, et cetera, blah, blah. The, that is a fair criticism, and that is something that I think in the past, we as a network, and when we say seven network, that was the traditional broadcast side, have we been able to link in with other units as best as we possibly can? No, uh, absolutely not. And that is an area now that if I walk outside this door now, I will now walk through that it's evolved to actually having all units within a very small vicinity of themselves. So I now work, walk through from going from this interview room back down to where I'm sitting at the moment. I will go through uh, scheduling, 
I will go through, walk past the executive, digital, and literally up, right upstairs is Pacific that allows me to be able to link in. And also I'm going past the, the West Australian. The amount of collaboration that exists now between the various units has to exist. We don't and cannot exist for our own KPI. Let me give you a perfect example. We have only just recently parted ways with our former friends at Yahoo. And now we have taken full control of our own digital assets and future on all things digital platform. I can remember a time when we set up a engagement tool for our AFL fans at home to be involved in a platform that was referred to as Fango. And unfortunately, it was where the fans didn't go. And uh, we did it because we believed it was the right thing for our business, not the consumer. And it wasn't consumer-led at all. So now we, we work internally to work out, okay, what is the best platform for our content and how can that best be amplified on whatever relevant platform that is, whether that is Twitter, whether that is Facebook, whether that is Instagram. So I think we've got better as an organisation working together, but not, and we've also got better at not drinking our own bathwater. There's been loads of awesome insights and advice through all of that, Pat. So let's round it out. Can you give us an example of an effective campaign you've worked on, preferably recently, and it would be great to understand some of the elements of how you started the planning and then identified the goals and then developed an approach together with a sponsor? There needs to be a fair sense of trust in regard to working out what it is that each other wants to go. Normally, it starts with a brief and that could either be the problem, solving a, a client's problem, or it uh, could be working with a friendly uh, brand that literally is looking at opportunities and they are yet to sort of ascertain how best they they land that. One news corp client, um, realestate.com.au, is one that has recently entered the broadcast of Thursday and Friday night football and Sunday football on our AFL telecasts and prior to getting to that point it was a point of actually working out together what it is that they were looking to achieve what kind of assets that they were looking to incorporate and then trying to find tailored ways that made sense to that overall objective so in doing so we actually before we signed off on broadcast we saw that there was uh, great opportunities that came along the way that weren't necessarily relevant to our core business. But the AFL had a, a new it's a second year running and being AFLX, and we saw that that was a great opportunity from a naming rights a perspective to align REA to. So we facilitated that deal, worked with the AFL to incorporate realestate.com.au REA to the overall naming of that and then LinkedIn. Okay, once that was done, we then had a platform to announce from. And whilst it's quite a, a new property and some of the traditionalists within AFL look down upon AFLX and go, you know what, that's not AFL. Well, they're exactly right, it's not. But what it is, it's actually a, it's a new property that gives brands the opportunity to grow with and talk to a different audience, talk to families, talk to kids, et cetera. Uh, obviously, the kids aren't going to be buying the real estate, but certainly, most importantly, talk to families. We were then able to, to build a launch platform into broadcast and then involve event level and then involve various assets and ambassadors to look to amplify what their creative is. So uh, we've now got to a level of trust that in, uh, it can't be just about you. That's absolutely imperative when your sales often get criticised for the shooter McGavin, the BS that's spun in regards to the overall. If you can't find a level of trust or connection that allows that relationship to be built on trust, then the overall benefit of both sides will not be revealed. I think that's an amazing point to finish the chat on, Pat. Now, if people want to get in contact and continue the conversation, what can they do? Reach out on LinkedIn more than ever. I, I um, am often 
responding to people. I think that's how we started, you know, with this podcast. So thanks for reaching out. Reach out on LinkedIn. More than happy to to have a chat online, face to face, coffee, whatever it might be. I think it's important. I'm now sort of getting involved more from a uni perspective. I've finished my MBA. I'm doing mentoring with RMIT. I'm now getting involved in a not-for-profit from a board perspective. So more than happy to give back. Or if anyone's thinking about getting into the industry or whatever it might be, please do reach out. Listeners, you cannot ask for more than that. Patrick Maloney, Network Director of Sports Sales at Seven West Media. Thank you so much for taking us inside broadcast sponsorship. No problem, Daniel. Good to talk, man. As I said at the top of the show, if you are old like me, you'll remember reading stories and hearing opinions day in, day out about the decline, the decay, the fragmentation and the death of traditional media. And while traditional media's dominance has certainly diminished, I'm sure you'll agree after listening to Pat's insights that broadcast isn't going anywhere. And in fact, their integrated offerings, which continue to grow and grow globally, are still very attractive to brands. As you heard from Pat, he'd love to hear from you if you would like to chat further about the industry. So just head along to the show notes at coresoftware.com in the resources section underneath podcasts and head to the show notes for this episode. That's a wrap for episode 69 of Inside Sponsorship. I hope you enjoyed the show. And just like Jean, I'd love to hear from you and give you a shout out. Or if you'd like an introduction to any of our guests, old or new, just like Antonia did, I'm happy to oblige. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And if you want to connect with Core Software's Director for Customer Strategy and Success, Australasia, Sam Irvine, you can catch him on sam.irvine, I-R-V-I-N-E, at coresoftware.net. Or search for him on LinkedIn. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Sponsurve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.